0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. How many of you plan on being here next week or bringing somebody, inviting somebody at least? All right. I don't see everyone's hands up. If I find out you're out like playing hooky or on a golf course or you just sleeping in next week better watch out. I had to say golf because I brought a golf club in last week and figured I'd mention that. Well, good morning. If you uh, haven't been here the last few weeks, this is the last part of a series uh, entitled Soul Custody. And we've been running this series, I don't know what, yeah, five weeks, a little over a month. And it's something that I was in all summer. And this is kind of finally the last piece, the last portion of it. And I know at last week I had said I was going to really Talk about practical ways that we can bring Sabbath into our lives. And the more I thought about it as I left this place, that's not where I felt like God was leading me. So uh, I hope this is, I hope as His servant, I was listening. And this is what God wants in the finality of this series, since next week, too, we have these speakers coming in, and I won't be speaking on the night. So I'd be remiss if I didn't end the series this way. And uh, I just want to open in a word of prayer. Lord, Lord, I thank you that you've been talking to us about our souls, the most important thing about us. Father, I ask that you would light a fire inside of us as we end this series. Spirit of the living God, I ask that you would have your way inside of us as we've talked about that MRI of the soul. Lord, would you go deep? You are the great physician. You are the great healer. You are the great restorer. Father, you're the great creator. Do all of those things inside of us. Lord, we don't want a series or a message that makes us feel good for five or ten minutes for a week. Father, we really want transformation. We really want to live the life that we were meant to live. Do what only you can do, Father. Take my feeble words and use them, Lord. Empower them, enliven them in our lives. Amen. Well, one day... Jesus was going to send his disciples out, and it was really kind of their first chance to carry out his mission, and he's going to give them a, a locker room talk. How many of you, maybe you played sports, or even if you're in the business world, you never played sports, your boss, he or she gave you a talk, like an inspirational talk, you know what I'm talking about, you're with me on that. How many of you? Show of hands, all right? Some of you never, come on, somewhere along the lines, you heard an not just in church, but somewhere. And I love to do at school, Rob's not here right now, he's in the midst of his football season, but I love it. Every single year, he picks like his big game and he makes me come in and speak and I love it to do like a motivational, and I have the music, you're used to me, but like these kids, they see me in a classroom and then I come in and I have the music and I get crazy, I get really into it. And it's a lot of fun. And you know motivational talks, right? How are motivational talks supposed to be? Very uplifting. You with me on that? So here Jesus is and he's going to send his disciples out and, you know, like a coach or a boss getting this, you know, send out people and inspire them and tell them, let's go. Supposed to be highly positive, motivationalist kind of talk. The disciples have to be wondering, you know, we've been watching Jesus do some amazing stuff. What kind of stuff are we going to do? Right. These are real people. They've seen Jesus do amazing things. They have to be wondering, Jesus, what are we going to do? We want to get out there. We want to get in the game. All right? And this is, these are the words. Ready? Remember what I just said, prefacing this. These are the words that Jesus will give them before they're going to go out. Ready? Here we go. Matthew 10, 17. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Can you imagine the disciples like standing there and there's like Peter and he's like looking at like, John or James and they're like, I don't, that's not the talk that I thought Jesus was going to bring today. We're going to get flogged in the synagogues. Last time I checked, that was not on the list of things that I was hoping would happen to me as I followed Jesus. Remember again, why am I bringing this up? Because I couldn't help it. In reading the Bible, these are, again, real, ordinary people. What do you think they were thinking as they heard these words? We can get so religious and we can, oh, they knew what was going on and they understood it. They did not understand it. This was not part of anything that was in their mindset, that this was going to happen to them. Now, it gets worse. Now, watch this. Jesus goes on in verse 19. But when they arrest you. So I'm going to get flogged. Not if they arrest you. Notice that. It's when they arrest you. Great. Check that off the list. You got flogged you got arrested? I mean you can that's it. Life's over. You've experienced everything. Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Again, there they are wondering, what? Jesus, really? And then he summarizes his general strategy. Ready? Here it is. Move down to it, it, moving backwards there in 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Flogged, arrested, and you know, right, sheep, when they amble over to a pack of wolves, right, what usually happens? The sheep gets destroyed. Does anybody want to be a sheep, right? Never. It's not a mascot for a team. I've never seen it before. Nobody ever aspires. We're the sheep. We're a really good team. We're really strong. No, it's lions, it's tigers, it's bears. So I'm sending you out, and you're going to get destroyed. Isn't that fun? This is the message that he gave them. But then he goes on. Look what he says moving down in the chapter. In, in, in 1028, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Just stop right there. Meditate on that. In other words, what's the worst they can do to you? Kill you? Don't worry about that. That's not really a big problem. Not really a big issue. And it seems like it's kind of a strange way to encourage people, is it Not? Now, think about our world today. Imagine Jesus was here today and he's giving us like this kind of talk, same commission. And he says, I'm going to send you out just like I sent them out. You will change the world. But of course, you're going to hit massive problems, massive resistance. Many of you won't be liked. No one's going to like you. Some of you are going to be arrested. Isn't that great? And then down the road, whatever, you know, we're going to debrief. Whomever is left next week, you come back, we'll come in and debrief. Let's go, huddle up, on three, team. One, two, three, team, see ya. This is the message. Real human beings listening to this message from Jesus. But how about I give you the the full verse? 1028, this is the full verse there. I only gave you half of it. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hmm. You know, we're in the series about the soul, its nature, its importance. This is probably the edgiest thing I think anybody's ever said about the soul, is it not? It's pretty edgy stuff says this to real, ordinary people. Do not be afraid of the one who can destroy. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. And aren't you surprised by this? So often we hear Jesus say, fear not. Right in the Gospels? What do people say? 365 times, says in the Bible, fear not. You know, even you were thinking, my sister was thinking that, right? Didn't plant her, didn't tell her to say that. Some of you are probably thinking that as well, right? Fear not. Even the two extra ones for leap year, right? Right? And we hear it all the time, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Jesus, you're supposed to inspire me. Jesus, you're supposed to make me feel good about myself. Jesus, you're supposed to protect me. And here he says, no, fear this. Why does he say those words? I'll tell you why. Because the soul is the most important thing about you. And you know sometimes fear is a good thing. How many of us know? Fear sometimes is a good thing. We should fear things. For example, you ready? Good story. There is a couple. They are from Kentucky. Who is from Kentucky? <laughs> Pastor Tom will be sharing this series at some point. It may be a little different, but he's probably going to be listening to this at some Pastor Tom, these are your peeps. So as I tell this story, just remember, as I'm looking at our congregation, these are your people, because this is where you're from. Man and a woman sitting on their porch. As a, th- this story can only inspire awe and just wonder as to why two human beings did this. Couple, they're sitting on their porch. They were drinking, okay? I don't know how much they were drinking, but probably heavily, given what they do. They're sitting there, and they're talking to each other, and they just bought, they had a new dog. And uh, they were trying to figure out how to confine the dog to their property. So the man says to the woman, well, I bought this shock collar. Okay? figure that we could put the shock collar on the dog and keep the dog on the property. The only problem is we don't know how far the dog will actually go before the shock collar shocks him. And then, you know, he realizes, I can't go that far and I'm going to stay on the property. So he comes up, concocts this great idea. Honey, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to take the shock collar. I'm going to put it around my neck. I'm going to get in my hillbilly truck. I'm going to get in the truck, and I'm going to drive down the street. When I honk the horn, you're going to hit the button for the shock collar. We're going to see how far I can get before I get shocked, where I don't get shocked anymore, right? You with me on this? So there it is. They're both excited, right, as only Kentuckians would be, right? Guy gets in his truck. He starts driving. He's going down the street, right? The only problem is, I I should, should tell you this, there's a hill. So she can't really, she has limited sight distance, right? Limited, she can't see that far. He starts going down. He beeps the horn. She hits the button. He starts going down the hill. He, he, it's, it's almost, he's knocked unconscious. He starts swerving the car into traffic that's coming. A guy is coming the other way. Here's the best part. The guy starts honking the horn at him (laughs) repeatedly. Honk, honk. She repeatedly hits the button, hitting him. And there he is in the truck. Uh, 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 uh. Guy gets in an accident, hits a car that is parked on the street. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And then imagine, listen, imagine having to go to the emergency room and tell the attending physician, what happened? Tell me what happened. How did you get those marks around your neck? Well, I came up with this idea. Really? (laughs) I mean, uh, electricity is some. It's not mean, but it's something that's dangerous. It's power. It should be feared. Now, get back to what Jesus said. Refer back to that. Now, a lot of people would be shocked that Jesus said something like this right shocked but the thing that Jesus understood and the thing that we need to understand is when we live our lives in deliberate violation of God's will deliberate violation of God's will something happens to the deepest part of us our soul you know when we talk as as pastor pastor Joe was alluding to before talking just about our money when he was doing the offering I was just thinking so many times we think about sin and we talk, we talk about sins of commission, sins that we, things that we commit. What about sins of omission, like generosity? I heard that word before. What about things like generosity? Things that we're not doing. Stop think, thinking about things that we, I don't want to do that. Oh, please, I, I hope I can abstain from that. Not just, but when we live in direct violation of God's will, something happens in our lives. When we hurt people, when we say, I'm just going to go ahead and gossip. I'm just going to devote my life to something other than love. Something happens to our souls. And throughout the whole series, we've talked about the difference between the body and the soul, right? I mean, our bodies, these things that we kind of cherish, but our bodies are going to wear out. They're going to dry up one day right? And you people that are maybe older, maybe, I don't, you're looking forward to that when you can, you know, these young people, and you're like, soon enough, that's going to come for you, right? Right? Isn't that what you're thinking? In the blink of an eye, in terms of eternity, how long is this? I see it, I'm only 40 years old, a little over 40 years old, but I see it, you know, I hear about it all the time, more kids, oh, you're going gray, really? Just wait, you're a little older, it's going to happen to you, right? Hair grows in places that you'd never, you know, you need the ear things and the nose, it's like this stuff, I didn't need this stuff when I was 20 years old. Your body breaks down, I'm at the gym, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to probably have to get surgery on the shoulder at some point. Yeah, this, the hip doesn't feel, right? You know, you just, oh man, it's unbelievable how the body breaks down. But your soul was made for eternity. Your soul, our souls were made for eternity. And I love what Moses says to the children of Israel. Look at this, Deuteronomy 4, 9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. Did you see that that word diligently with care? That's what this series has been about, that we would be a people that would heed the warning from Scripture about how important it is for us to take care of our souls. And he goes on so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they knew do not depart from your heart. Come on, you know what I've been thinking all week? I don't want to be a pastor in this place that preaches to people that are just on spiritual drift mode. I don't want to do that. I don't want that for my own life, and I don't want that for you. I said it earlier in the series, too. We we talk all the time about our bodies, our health, our finances. May we talk about things that are going on in work. What about our souls? And how many of us as parents, how many of us are really talking to our kids about their souls? Not just about school, but their souls. I sit with my son in the car and I realize the gravity of the moment when I drive him to school every single day and I have seven minutes in the car and he wants to play with his iPad and he wants to eat and he wants to do his own thing. But I get two of those minutes where I can ask him about the state of his soul and we can pray together. I cherish that time every single day. I'm not, the, uh, listen, far from a perfect parent. Oh, as, as my parents can tell you about my parenting skills, a lot to learn. But I know how important it is to take, take care of diligently the souls of my children. It's incumbent upon me and then my own soul. How about you? How are you doing in that area of your life? But I, I just don't want to be a part of that. We just come here and sing songs and the worship again today was wonderful. And you hear a message, the worship was great, and you hear a message... I don't I really don't and that's what grieves me as one of your pastors that we can just go through the motions Really? Come on We can go through the motions and come in here and be on spiritual drift mode for a long period of time and be basically I don't know spiritual non-disciples We just come in and say i'll sing the songs i'll say the words, but i'm really i'm not looking for life change I'm, not really looking to do any soul work in my life danger 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 and that's why we're doing this series. And you, you wonder, what, what was I alluding to earlier about what, what did God put on my heart? It's sin. Sin. We do not talk enough about sin. You, don't, you haven't heard many messages in, in me preaching over 15 years in this place. I haven't preached a lot of messages about sin. Because it's something we don't talk a lot about. Can I spend the rest of the time discussing that with us? Oh, you get uncomfortable. That's all right. That's what I'm here for today, to make you uncomfortable. Look what Paul says to Timothy, Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul said this, the apostle Paul, what is he talking about? The great John Stott, this is what John Stott said, I love this. He, says, uh, he said this about that verse. Paul's not saying he did a careful study of every sinner in human history and found Out, he came in last place. The truth is, rather, when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit, an immediate result is we give up all such comparisons. Isn't that good? Oh, that's rich. You give up comparisons. And i I, just thinking and meditating and ruminating on this all week and looking at my, I am the chief sinner right here, first and foremost, all week, not comparing myself to anybody else, just looking in the mirror, like Paul had said, I am the chief of all sinners, and that's why Jesus Christ came into this world. And another problem I think we have in Christianity is when you hear sin, it's I already gave my life to Christ. It's not what I'm I'm talking about. The daily, the daily ritual, the daily occurrence, the weekly of, of confessing our sins to him, confessing our sins to each other. We don't talk about that. This is soul work. You ask, how do I take care of my soul? This is something we need to do and address. And so. I want to give an MRI of the soul. I started out talking about it five weeks ago. That's kind of what this is. I want to do more of an MRI. You're going under again. You excited about that? You get another MRI of the soul. Cornelius Plantinga, he's a a scholar. This is what he says about sin. The awareness of sin used to be our shadow. Christians hated it, feared it, fled from it, grieved over it. A man who lost his temper might wonder whether he could still go to communion. A woman who for years envied her more attractive and intelligent sister might worry that this sin threatened her soul. In today's group of confessionals, it's harder to tell. Where sin is concerned, people mumble. We're mumblers. And we dress really nice and we come in here and we talk to each other but we don't address the one thing that can splinter and destroy and cause our souls to shrivel up. And yes, it is sin. S-I-N. Look what Peter says. Peter puts it this way. 2.11 Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Again, I have to reiterate this. said this a few weeks ago. Did you realize that you woke up into oh, you woke up into a war today, a battle for your soul, for your soul? Now your eternal your eternal soul. You may say, "No, I know about my eternal destination." But there is a battle over your mind. There is a battle over your body. There is a battle over your soul going on today. And as I was in the shower, I'm thinking about it. And I said, You know what? It's kind of like you don't have a choice. You have a choice whether or not you want to enlist and go in the military. You could have been somebody that says, I'm going to be a draft dodger and I'm going to go. I'm, there's no way I'm going to the military in a time of war. In this battle, your choice is you either jump into the battle, put on your spiritual war- warfare, and get in the game, or you're going to get clobbered. That's it. That's your choice. If you say, that's not for me, I'm not in a battle, then what's going to happen is, is our souls are going to feel the deleterious effect of sin and just the weight of this world, the culture it has, it pulls on us. Feel that. Because that's the truth of what we're up against. And when Peter says this, what have we mentioned to, to, as, as to highlight? We have talked about in this series the most important part of us. And what does a healthy soul look like? It's the integration. It's the harmony of our body and all of its desires and appetites. Our mind, its, its intentions, our will. And then you look at our, our, our heart, our spirit, Right? You look at everything, you put it all together, the mind, the bodies, you put it all together. When that's integrated and working as God intended for it to work, you have real harmony. That's why when somebody asked Jesus, they asked him one day, what is the most important of all the commandments? Look what Jesus said. You know it. Love the Lord God with all your heart. Heart, we've talked about that in the series. Another word, that would be spirit or your will, your intentions, And with all your soul, and with all your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, and with all your strength, your body. When this is working together, what happens? We have a soul that is gratified when it is connected to God. But what does sin do? It breaks the connection, and it disintegrates our souls. (laughs) And can I go back here? If you look at what Peter said here, I was thinking, what would be some of the ways that Peter would say that our souls... are? What are they up against? What would be ways that, that the enemy tries to wage war against our souls? You with me? And I think I was thinking, I said, you know what? One, definitely idolatry. We put ourselves in the place of God. Kind of hammered away on that in this series. That's one. And I would say number two, and I took this one from John Ortberg's book on The Soul Keeper. I thought it was, I thought it was wonderful. He said, when the desire to avoid anything might make us feel bad about ourselves. He says, we don't want to feel bad. Anything, I'll say it again, anything we avoid that might make us feel bad about ourselves. Can I give you a little research on this now? Um, there's a, uh, an author, he's a, a teacher at Duke University. My brother turned me on to a book a couple of years ago, uh, Predictably Irrational. I sent, you you got to read this one. This one's even better. And uh, this guy wrote another book recently. Here's the, uh, let me give you the title of the book. Here it is. The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. And uh, the subtitle, How We Lie to Everyone, Especially Ourselves. Dan Ariely. And basically the book summarizes a lot of research. And and Ariely is astounded by how widespread our tendency is to be self-centered, to deceive, and to cheat. Ready? Ready? Now, here is all of the research. When you put it together, he says we are driven by two primary motivations. doesn't matter who you are. Two primary motivations. One is we want to receive selfish gain. We want selfish gain. We want to avoid pain and we're willing to lie. We're willing to cheat and we're willing to deceive to get that. Following me? That's number one. We want to avoid pain at all costs. Then he says number two is that we want to look in the mirror and think well of ourselves. You should be laughing. That's good. You should be. Because don't you see those two things are antithetical to each other? So he says there, we, we want to view ourselves as basically good, honest, honorable people. These motivations are in conflict with each other, because how can we enable our selfishness with deceit on the one hand at the same time? And then view ourselves as honest, wonderful, noble people. It doesn't make any sense. Are you with me? Are you following me? Well, he goes on to say this. Ariely, this is, a, this is a quote from the book. This is where our amazing cognitive flexibility comes into play. I'll get to that thanks to this human skill, as long as we cheat only by a little, only a little bit, only a little bit, because some of you are thinking in your head, I'm not a liar, I'm not a deceiver, I'm not a cheater, I'm really not self-centered. Good, this is for you. This sermon is especially for you. As long as we cheat by only a little bit, we can benefit from cheating for selfish gain and still view ourselves as marvelous human beings, right? You with me? Now, what Ariely calls our amazing cognitive flexibility, the Apostle Paul says this. This is what he says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This guy is, the book is amazing because everything he is talking about, it is backed up by Scripture. By Scripture, what he is calling cognitive flexibility, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying it is. Strong language, very strong language. Can I give you a tiny example of our willingness to lie? Oh, I couldn't wait to share this with you all week. You ready? Now, again, the book gives empirical verification, right, for everything that's in Scripture. So I have to preface it by saying that. This is the one example. He says, over the course of many years of teaching, I have noticed that there typically seems to be a rash of deaths among students' relatives at the end of the semester, It happens mostly in the week before final exams and before papers are due. All right. Now, if you read the book, John Orberg's book, because he alludes to this, you can't say the answer. I want you to guess what relative do you think is the most likely to die before a midterm or final exam? Take a guess. Grandma. You're all just throwing grandma right under the bus. (laughs) Anybody else have another answer? Everyone wants to say grandma. Who? You're right. It's grandma, right? Grandmothers. Grandmothers. How crazy is this? Crazy. Let me go on. It gets better. It gets better. I'm not making any of this up. I am not embellishing. I am not exaggerating. Mike Adams, a professor at Eastern Connecticut, has done research on this topic. He has shown that grandmothers are 10 times more likely to die before a midterm, 19 times more likely to die before a final exam. Worse, grandmothers of students who are not doing well in the class are at even higher risk. (laughs) Students who are failing are 50 times more likely to lose grandma than non-failing students. So the greatest predictor of mortality among senior citizens in our day ends up being their grandkids' GPA. (laughs) What the heck is going on? Truth be told, truth be told. I said, I have to tell the story. I didn't do that, all right? So if you're wondering, did you tell, you, you did this? No, I didn't do this. But when I was at Gordon for a year, we had to take um, an Old Testament class. The guy was a legend, legend, right? You know, Mrs. Candace knows who I'm talking about. Marvin Wilson was his name. Uh, revered, venerated by everybody. Oh, my gosh. Helped translate this and that. I mean, this guy is just well-respected, right? He's prolific in every way. How do I say it? He's not a good he's not a good teacher like in conveying like he's just too smart the guy gets up there and his exams jen remember jen remember the exam i heard you i heard that jen cheated in his class jen had him she cheated we have a cheater in our midst (laughs) i tried to cheat there was no one around me that i could get help from all right Johnny cheated too. John Caddis went there. Does anybody else want to admit anything you cheated about in your lifetime? Here's the best part, though. Here's the best part why I'm sharing this story. Who is... Oh, my gosh. Okay, so listen. This is the best part of the story, though. At school, everybody... Like, people that went before you and took the class, you know, I'm pulling, like, a C in this guy's class. And I'm like, I know. I'm a pastor's kid. I should have an A. I don't. I have a C. Okay, when you have to go into Leviticus and give all the Levitical laws and like fill in the blanks, you, right, have a little, right, understanding, right, sympathy. So they were like, people like, just go in the office and just tell them, you know, uh, you're really trying hard, you're really, you know, you're giving it everything you got. I wasn't giving it everything, I right? was like, when is this class over? Can't wait to get <laughs> out of here. New Testament was a different story, loved it, great teacher, whatever. So you go in, I, I got to me, I went in, I'm like, hey, uh, Professor Wilson... Um, just want to, you know, I love your class. <laughs> horrible <laughs> you 're a great professor. lie This class is awesome i 'm um, working really hard. lie. Um, I, is there anything I can do i didn 't want to do anything. Is there anything I can do to really pass the class? What a bottom line translation. What do I need to do to get a C and not flunk out of this school? What do I need to do? Just tell me and i 'll do it. The guy was the most gracious human being on the planet. really was an amazing man when you sat with him one on one, and you really could touch God. But I don't know. Just, and th- is that really tethered to this? Is it tangential? Whatever. I just thought I would share that story with you. But Ariely, getting back to my point about, you with me on the grandmother story? He goes on to point out how a single act of dishonesty is not a petty act because it basically ends up shaping how we view ourselves. Did I say in the series, we are souls? Have I said that yet? Maybe I didn't. I don't know. Everything is connected. It ends up shaping how we look at our standards and how they kind of slip you ever go to a local supermarket and the line says 12 or more items, 12 or less items, and you have 15? How many of you have done it confession time? How many of you, when you're boarding a plane, you're there and you're, I did it last year. I did it. Group C, right? I'm in Group C and I want to be with everybody else that's in Group B. You remember I got shut out last year and the, I'm not getting shut out on the Tampa trip this year. I will not be in Group C as I'm boarding Southwest with all the other sheep. It will not happen. Right? But this is the one I did the other, I couldn't believe this. I did this the other day that's like a confessional for me today, right? I'm confessing to you. So there I am at Stop and Shop a couple of weeks ago. It is pouring rain. I don't remember exactly what day it's pouring out and I pull into the parking lot and I need something and I have to get home, whatever reason, right? Self-centered, right? Nobody else, it's just me, right? My life and everything I have to do. So I pull into the parking lot and I see a spot that is open. Again, it's, it's pouring rain, And I see a spot that is open, but there's a big truck that's kind of blocking And I'm like, great, I'm not that far from the store. I can run in, I'm not gonna get too wet. And then I start to pull in and what do I see? Not a handicap sign, infant parking sign, the big red sign. And I looked in the back seat and I said, I have infant, I have have an infant, I do. No, I'm not kidding you, that's what's going on inside my head. I'm saying to myself, no, I really do. I have two kids. This is justified. It's raining out. It's pouring. Do you think anybody's going to bust my chops? I do have kids. Really, I can show you pictures of them. Huh. So there I am, right? And I pull in the spot. I did. I pulled in. I get out of the car and I run into the store. And then I you know, buy whatever I need to buy, run back out. And there was really though something in my spirit. I was like, kind of grieved about it. Something that was so simple and so trivial But it really kind of hit me. And I I guess I was thinking about it in light of this guy's book. and Little simple acts of deceit and we lie to ourselves. And you know what I kept saying? You're a good person. Come on, man. You're a pastor at a church. You're a teacher at a high school. You're trying to change lives, brother. Give yourself a break. Give yourself a break. You need to put a leash on me today. But really, we, we rationalize, don't we? We rationalize all the time. We say things like, ah, it was the traffic. It wasn't the traffic. Yeah, I sent the email. I sent it. You didn't send the email. <laughs> right? How many of you are with me? You've done this before. Come on, really? And we rationalize, and we think that this one little act, doesn't, it's, it's innocuous. It doesn't really mean anything. But the tr- truth be told, it's more likely then, as his book points out, that we're likely to cheat on an expense account, fudge our resume, that's why, what do you think workplaces are? Keith, I hear you laughing. Why workplaces are filled with gossip, cynicism, judgmentalism, people exaggerating their own contributions and minimizing other ones, jealousy, sabotage, greed, just enough, just enough, so we feel good about ourselves because we are good people. You are all such amazing people. I am a wonderful person. You with me? And it's like interesting too. Sometimes wrongdoing increases so much. It can't be rationalized anymore. And what's, what happens when that, like, wh- what's the common response when that happens? Is it repentance? Is it repentance? Do we say, God, how could I do this? How could I be living in such a way? No, no, no. We rationalize with the best of them. And I- instead of saying, how am I capable of this? It's much more like, like we're on a diet. Do you ever cheat for a while and you still think you're on the diet? Like Pastor Joe? guy's on a diet. Since I was a kid, since I was a kid, Hey dad, how's the diet going? Is that on the diet? Right? No, I'm just taking a little, yeah, a little bit. I need some. I earned it. I earned it. Spoon goes in the mouth. I earned it. I earned it. So, you know, it's like, and we cheat. And then what happens though? What happens not past a joke, but what happens if, if it's just like beyond, like you just, you keep going and you keep going. What do you say after a while? I'm done with it. I'm just going to indulge. I'm going to Has anybody ever been there? You're like, I'm done with this diet. I'm going to eat whatever the heck I want. That's what we do. And we rationalize. You know what, you know what psychologists call this? You can't make this up. You know what they call it? The what the hell effect. I'm not, it's true. Listen, don't put your head down. This is a real, this is a real thing. It's in his book. I took it out of his book. Don't get mad at me. Get, write a letter to him or an email to John Orberg. It was in his book. I thought it was really good. (laughs) It's when we cross the line where we can't pretend anymore. It's our moral behavior. What happens? It eventually just collapses. And you see it all the time. We've seen it in the news, scandal-ridden companies, Enron, Bernie Madoff, right? Molestation cases. And we see it out there, the -the what-the-hell effect Because we pretend, right? We pretend that we could just give in to our urges and gratify whatever we want, regardless of the consequences, the repercussions, regardless of any of that. And what happens a lot of times is we forget that the same dynamic that is present in these companies and these high-profile executives is also present in us. You see, I said it earlier. I am the worst of all sinners. Can we, for the rest of the sermon, the last couple of minutes, can you at least not hit somebody next to you? Can you at least think that you're the worst of all sinners for the last couple of minutes? Can we really get serious? I mean, we've laughed a lot this sermon, but can we really get serious now? Because we really sit down and think about the sin in our soul and what it's doing to us. I've I've weeped all week. I sat in the woods yesterday by myself in this field. And I have my own special place. You hunters need to stay away from it. I don't want you anywhere near it. I found a special place. And I sat there, though, and I was so convicted. I was so convicted of just my own sin just my own sin. Nobody else is looking. I am the chief of all sinners. What I am asking for in this place is, is, that there would really be a real conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit, a real sense of conviction about the sin that wreaks havoc in our lives. Can we do that? Lord, I ask that that would even happen right now, Father. I ask that you would send your spirit, Lord, and you would convict us of the sin that is present in our lives that we hide and we don't talk about and we come into church and we wear the nice clothes and we pretend to each other and we collude. Can you do that, Lord? You know, as I, and I, even this morning, I'm in the shower and I'm, I'm thinking about the first and second great awakening. I, you know I love to go back. I'm going to do a sermon soon. I think maybe in like a month. I picked somebody last year. I did um, John Newton. Amazing Grace. I'm going to do Jonathan Edwards. I can't stop sitting at the feet of people from the past that have experienced the glory of God and they talked about sin I get to sit. Do you understand that I get to sit in a classroom tomorrow and I get to talk about the second grade awakening to APUS students and I get to tell them about Charles Grandison Finney, a real person, a real human being that lived and what he did in upstate New York? Kids, it's kind of amazing. I can do this. I'm in a public school. I'm allowed to give them real history, am I not? And I can tell them right outside of Rochester, New York, he is going to preach somewhere at a revival, right? All these people, opposition, they're opposing him and they're there and people are chiding him and they're criticizing him and they're denigrating him and they're disparaging him. And he just walks in and he starts praying and people are convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and they fall to their knees. People are falling down everywhere. Can I read you the quote? And I looked it up this morning again. This is the quote. Where is it? The factory owner, this factory outside where this happens, seeing this Was deeply moved and said, Stop the mill and let the people attend to religion, for it is far more important that our souls be saved than the factory run. Real history, this really happened. People were so convicted of their sin. Can that not happen today? It can happen and it will happen. There is coming a time, there is coming, we need to get serious about this sin issue. God wants to move on this place. He wants to move on this island. He wants to move on the East Coast. He wants to move on this country. He wants to move on America, the world. Can we believe? greatest sermon ever delivered Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry God and much different his his choppy puritan prose hard to understand hard to kind of work with but spiders that he's preaching to people and they want to they're crying they're on their knees and they're crying and they want to repent that he's not letting them finny the same thing Now you're not ready yet oh God may that happen And you know what kills me? Look at Bonn. This is one of my favorite quotes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Underground movement. World War II against Nazi Germany and Hitler. Look what he says. It may be the Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service may still be left to their aloneness. Are you sick of being alone? The final breakthrough to to community does not occur because although they have fellowship with each other as believers and devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal his sin from himself and from the community. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. I am the chief of all sinners. How about you? God has given us confession. We are to confess to each other and we are to confess to him our sin. But we don't. And you're like, wow, James, this is kind of like a, like a fire and brimstone kind of message. I don't know. That's not my intent. There's real grace. There's grace. I think we preach so much about grace. We don't preach enough about sin. Remember, it used to be our shadow planting. And when he said that, it used to be our shadow. We, it needs to be our shadow again. And I have never been more convicted as one of your pastors here about what God wants to do here. We need to clean up our lives. We need to take care of our souls. God's not going to move on a people that are, that are just lackadaisical. If you come in here and you live your life, and I live my life, lackadaisically and just kind of whatever, and I'm on spiritual drift mode, he is not going to move. He's looking for a people that will get on their knees and pray. He's looking for a people that will be devout. He's looking for a people that are sold out. Where is that heart attitude? Is that in you? I think it is. And I'm calling it out. I started out in the beginning of the sermon talking about giving a motivational locker room speech. That's what this is. I'm one of your coaches. And I'm calling it out of you. I'm calling the greatness out of you that's inside of you. I'm calling you to be better than how you've lived. I'm calling you to confess your sin to each other. I'm calling you to confess your sin to an almighty holy God. Because that's what he wants for you. Let's just, I'm done with this. We're going to go to the table now. Oh, wait, last thing. Let me just give you this. This is from Dallas Willard. This quote, I thought I'd end the series. The soul, if it can only acknowledge, Joan, we could, we could, pass, out, we could pass out those, um, please, Psalm 32. The soul, if it can only acknowledge its wounded condition, manifests amazing capacities for recovery when it finds its home in God and receives his grace. never done this before at the end of a, um, a sermon or really a series, this is what we're going to do for reflection as we come to the table. And we've been quite intentional. I think if you've noticed, we come to the table, we're really trying to direct you as to where we want you to go in how you're talking to God and even how you're talking to others as you leave this place. Joanne, maybe we could even email this to the, uh, to the, to the church during the week. What we are passing out is Psalm 32. If you don't know anything about Psalm 32, that's fine. It's like 11 verses at 11 or 12. And king David, this is King David. I have read this a million times in my life. It has given me incredible solace and comfort to read a man that is, he's the king, but you look at all his grievous sins, all the ways he has fallen. This is after Bathsheba. And I didn't put it up there, but you have it. This is after he has committed adultery. He's put Uriah there on the front lines and he's been called out by the prophet Nathan. And here he is in this psalm. Read the words that are in this psalm as he confesses to God what's inside. I love the rawness. I love the transparency. And what I'm asking for, as the worship team plays a song, and as you read this, ushers, we're going to take a minute. We're not going to rush up like we always do, and you're going to go through the motions of taking communion today. I'm asking that you really meditate on this psalm. As you leave here, I ask that you ruminate. I ask that you read it again over and over during this week. What are the things, and looking at the questions, confess anything for which you feel um, requires remorse. What did I write? Ge- oh, genuine remorse, I'm sorry. And then at the end, look, there is grace at this table. You don't just hearing me say, hey, we're sinners. There is grace. Whatever has happened, whatever is going on in your life, there is grace right here. But you are to confess your And I'm not just saying, Lord, you're not to come and go, Lord, I confess for all the sins that I've ever committed. No, let the Holy Spirit pinpoint prick you with certain things may we be a church that really take this serious our souls are at stake they are going to shrivel up and die and you know why the world has such power us? it's because i don't think we take this serious enough and we're so casual with how we talk but we watch me first foremost me we're way too casual with how we live our lives be like King David. I want to pour my heart out to you. Lord, we want to love you. There is so much sin, known and unknown, inside this heart of ours. Our hearts, as Calvin said, are idle factories. Lord, sit where you're supposed to sit, on the throne of our lives. Bring up, Lord, all of those issues, all of that sin, took all of it on that cross. He was separated, Lord. In those few moments, He took the weight of the world. He took every single sin that was here. We don't have to be burdened by it. We can cast it onto you. We can put it at your feet. Like a garbage disposal, a garbage, we have to take the garbage out, Lord. You're asking us today to take the garbage and leave it here at the altar. May we leave it here and confess and know, Lord, Podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.